job search, particularly when you're early in your career, I would say is looking at the people that you're interviewing with primarily and thinking about, does this feel like someone I can learn from? Does this feel like someone who is really open to feedback and folks that I can build relationships with, even outside of that person that's going to be your manager because things change so much at different companies. One of the biggest benefits for me with working at more of an agency model versus right now I work in-house at Wayfair was getting exposure to very different projects and different clients on sort of like from every through few months, I would need to become an expert in something different. So thinking back to that element of change and being adaptable, I think it was really great for that. And then learning to build with colleagues, design systems from the ground up for those specific use cases. What happens as you get promoted or shift roles is your scope of influence just increases. So the amount of design work that you're responsible for increases, not so that you're working, you know, twice as many hours or anything like that, but just as you're ramping up your skills, then you can take on more ambiguous projects and work like that. What's up everybody, I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer, so in this show I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today I'm talking to Catherine Armistead. Catherine currently works at Wayfair as a senior product design lead. Before Wayfair, she worked at Plubus' Sapien a digital consulting company as an experienced designer, and she graduated from Tufts. In our conversation, we talked about a variety of topics, including her people-first approach for job search, designing at a consulting company, accessibility, and so much more. I had a great time chatting with Catherine, and I hope you will too listening to this episode. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Catherine Armistead. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. So I wanted to go back to your early days as a college student. So I saw that during your college years at Tufts, which I'm also from as well, um, you worked as a graphic designer for an online journal and also a Tufts student um, resources. So I'm curious, like, have you always been interested in graphic design? early on in your career and how did you pivot to UX design? Yeah, that's a great question. I sort of got interested in graphic design by seeing some of the classes at Tufts and at the museum school um, where I also was doing a dual degree program. And I I got into Photoshop in high school actually. So it felt kind of like Mm. a transition and I was looking to like make some extra money and so working for Tough Student Resources I was able to do some logo work some posters and things like that which was a nice level of time commitment and um, and get paid pretty well for it so mm-hmm. I've always been interested in like composition and things like that and I felt like with graphic design it's just using 
digital tools to execute, you know, a composition, share information, spark somebody's interest. So thought all that was really interesting. And then with UX design, I, you know, I, I do really like graphic design still, but it's not super interactive. And so mm. a lot of it is about, well, how does it look, you know, and, and everyone is going to have a different opinion on that. And so with UX design, I was majoring in psychology, interested in human behavior. So it really married that visual aspect of composition with actual human behavior and how we think and optimizing things and making them easier to use. So that's, mm. that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. So it sounds like UX design provided something additional to graphic design. It was the psychology aspect. Yeah. And the, the psychology and the interactions there that mm. I thought were really interesting. And it felt at the time, and I would say for me personally, this is still true, like a field sort of with more avenues, more different areas to explore, whether you're thinking about physical product design or digital, um, thinking about app or web, thinking about different industries with different customer bases. So I it felt like a field that I wouldn't get sort of, I wouldn't reach a threshold or it wouldn't become too monotonous, which I excited about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because back in high school, I, I come from a fine arts background. And so I think one of the decisions that I also pivoted to UX was because just there is so much to learn in this field. Like, I feel like every day I'm like learning something new, which I find really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You're always, and that's the thing. It's, it's interesting. You always want to be open to change. I, we Mm. recently switched to a different design tool at Wayfair and I remember being resistant to it at first and then, you know, thinking about, well, wait, I'm a product designer and this is always how things Mm -hmm. go. You know, you always Mm got to be open to it. Right. I love that. Yeah. It's always going back to the iterative process of design and it just kind of turns into like a way of life and how we see everything. And I would love to also talk about like, because after you graduated from Tufts in 2017, you joined Publicis Sapien, which is a digital consulting company. I'm really curious, like, what is it like to design at a consulting company? Yeah, um, it's really interesting, very fast paced. And I think one of the biggest benefits for me with working at more of an agency model versus right now I work in-house at Wayfair Mm -hmm. was getting exposure to very different projects and different clients on sort of like from every few months, I would need to become an expert in something different. So thinking back to that element of change and being adaptable, I think it was really great for that. And then learning Mm -hmm. to build with colleagues design systems from the ground up for those specific use cases. I think another thing that was interesting working in the consulting and agency world was doing a lot of that upfront strategy work, which helped prepare me for some of the work that I do at Wayfair and getting to collaborate with different teammates from research through engineering on different projects. Um, and then also something that was that's kind of unique to that space is working on pitches, which can be really fun, mm-hmm. where you can just get in a room with other designers and some product folks and think about, okay, well, how would we redesign this? What could it be? And that's a space where you're time constrained to like a week or less, and mm-hmm. you can throw all these ideas out, and it's not like you have to 
Um, it's just a very kind of like explorative space that can be really fun. And, you know, we didn't get everything, but when we did, it was always exciting. Mm. Would you say consulting company is similar to a design agency or are they slightly different in what they do? So that's a great question. It really depends on the company. Sapient, Publicis Sapient was kind of both, um, where some of the work that we did was consulting and some of it was more pure agency work. I would say the way that I would describe the work that we did at Sapient was more in the digital space. So it wasn't so much print ads. It was more like what you might see at a traditional design agency or like logo mm-hmm. redesigns. It was more website redesigns or app, app redesigns or shifts. And I think with pure consulting, sometimes that's just sharing advice on what people should be doing or helping with like workplace challenges. Um, it can still be some design work, but a lot of times that's more process work the way I understand mm. it. So Sapient was kind of in between an agency that was more digital and a consultancy and, and had different branches for those two different spheres. And I worked mm. more in like digital agency side of it. Got it. I see. Yeah, because I think one question that new grad designers and maybe even students have is what type of company I want to join early on in my career. I'm sure at this point, you probably talked to a ton of like fresh new grad designers or just early stage designers. I'm just curious, like after going through the experience of being at a consulting company, would you recommend these new grad designers or entry level designers to join a consulting company early on? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question. And I think the main thing to think about in your job search, particularly when you're early in your career, I would say is looking at the people that you're interviewing with primarily and thinking about, does this feel like someone I can learn from? Does this feel like someone who is really open to feedback and folks that I can build relationships with, even outside of that person that's going to be your manager because things change so much at different companies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then outside of that, I think when it comes to an agency or a consultancy, you're going to get a lot of exposure to different clients. You're going to be working within probably a set project budget and um, lots of different types of work might be available to you. So if you're looking for breadth, then that can be really, really interesting. I'd say Mm -hmm. in-house or working for like a tech company or something like that, you get maybe more stability on like a day-to-day basis and Mm -hmm. you might have a larger design team, a more consistent engineering team that you're collaborating with. So that can be really great too. I think, and then in startups, I can't really speak too much to that because I haven't worked in a startup before, but I do think there's more flexibility where if you wanted to switch gears and work on something else, you could, and there's more freedom of, yeah, like who you work mm-hmm. with or what you work on, which can be great and can also be challenging in terms of having that stability and consistency. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I would say the number one most important thing is the people that you work with. Do they seem to have respect for design as like a group of people that should have a seat at the table making big, important decisions? And do the people on your direct team seem like 
people you can learn from, you know, creep on their portfolios, like look at, look at what they've done and talk to them about what gets them excited and see if that's something that seems like it'll get you excited too. So kind of like a non-answer, but. <laughs> no, yeah, I love that because there's so many different types of industries and companies and it's sometimes hard to pin down what specific type you want. So I think going through the people perspective, it's like, if I join this company, will I grow as a designer? Will yeah. I have a good time collaborating with these people? Um, I think that's a very good like metric or maybe a perspective to put on. Yeah, I love that. And you can also think about what excites you. If you are most excited when you're creating a design system for another company, like I was talking about with the agency work, that might be really great. And then you would kind of get to create new ones as those projects come up. But the other side of that coin is you don't always have control over how that is implemented. So if you're mm -hmm. more excited about having features that you design launch and learning from that, then maybe working at like a tech company that's more fast paced would be good. If you really care about the medical industry, then, you know, working for a medical device company could be really interesting, but that's a really long time frame from like concept to launch. So asking about the product lifecycle anywhere you're interviewing too is a really good idea. Yeah, because personally, I think one thing that I got out from my past internship was that I think I want to try to do more like product slash feature for design. Yeah. I guess in that case would more in-house roles be more suitable for those type of projects? Yeah, I would say so just based off my own experience. Um, you get into a groove working with the same engineers in the same sort of problem space and you can launch things and then you can iterate on those MVPs too and change the things that I, you know, I look at certain things I designed a while ago and I'm like, oh, that, that bugs me that that font size is, I think it should be a little bigger, smaller, you know, so you get the chance to kind of tweak things as well, which working at an agency, again, not necessarily a negative thing, but you tend to batch things up and then ship them in a bigger package than you mm -hmm. might uh, working in-house. I would love to shift into your time after Publicis Sapien, which is mm -hmm. where you're currently at Wayfair. So after Publicis, you joined Wayfair as a product designer. And over the course of three years, you went from product designer to product design lead. And very recently, you were promoted to senior product design lead at Wayfair. So again, first off, huge congrats for that. And what do you work on at Wayfair currently? Yeah, so I work on the customer-facing website and app, trying to make it easier to um, feel confident buying products that are quite different from one another. So my team focuses on nuance. And you know, if you're buying a sofa, then seeing information about how comfortable it is, is really helpful, which may not be applicable if you're buying like a piece of art. So we look into those differences as well as the commonalities across different types of products and try to optimize our experiences so that we take some of the guesswork out of buying a lot of the stuff that can be really scary to buy online and helping customers to feel more confident in those purchases. So since I joined, I've actually been on the same team, which is not the most usual thing for Wayfair. Um, I just love my team and I think the problem spaces are really interesting. Yeah, I, that's that's sort of my day to day. I also have a really big passion for accessibility. And so mm -hmm. I help run some monthly training sessions for folks across 
design, engineering, and uh, product management on mm-hmm. different aspects of accessibility. Um, and I, I think that's pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think sidetrack a little bit. I'm curious about the accessibility part. Like, when did you learn about it? And when did you realize the importance of accessibility in design? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the folks I talk to now that are in school are way ahead of me. I wasn't able to take um, classes in it. It wasn't really on the radar when I was at Tufts or even at my my first job. And it, it was something that I was interested in, but it wasn't until I got to Wayfair that I found some other people that had similar interests and we just cobbled together ideas and sort of processes and um, advocated for a team to be focused on this stuff. So I learned a lot of what I know about accessibility just from reading guidelines online, watching videos, and honestly, teaching other people about it. You have to learn about it yourself to do that. So um, that was a really good forcing function for me. I would say I'm always learning about it. I'm always learning about different assistive technologies. I'm definitely not an expert, but I love thinking about it. It fits so nicely into UX because it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we want everyone to be able to use things. And when you think about a lot of the technologies and inventions that have been for folks with disabilities, like closed captions, and you think about all the benefit there is to that for people who may not have disabilities at all, it's Mm -hmm. just a huge opportunity space for innovation, I think. Mm -hmm. My first interaction with accessibility was doing my spring internship last year. And my mentor is also a huge advocate for accessibility and design. And so I remember in the beginning of the internship, he wanted me to take this course, which is, I think it's called Web Accessibility. It's by Google. And then it's basically Mm -hmm. teaching you how to, in the code, like make sure that the code itself is accessible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I definitely need to review that, but I feel like that's a really good like entry point. And yeah, I definitely think accessibility is something that is really important for design, especially nowadays. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the the code aspect of it is also very important, but the more that we fix in the design phase, or not even fix, but like design, think about designing for, it's so much easier to think about accessibility from the start than mm-hmm. to go back and fix a bug and you know recode something, redesign something. Um, so there's a ton of benefits to it, but it's also just one of those interesting challenges. I don't want to call it a constraint really, but it's one of those things mm-hmm. that is really helpful to think about at the same time as you're thinking about like, where's your data going to pull from? What kind mm-hmm. of content are you going to be surfacing? How are you going to phrase this link? So people know that it's a link and know where it's going to take them. Right. It fits into that, that area of the design process really nicely. And I think accessibility is definitely one of those things where when I was doing fine arts or like graphic design, it was definitely not something that I consciously thought about. So yeah, yeah definitely learning a ton of new stuff when doing UX design. And I would also like to bring it back to your current position as the senior product design lead at Wafer. I'm curious, does your current role as the design lead count more as a managerial role or are you still very hands-on with the designs that your team creates? Yeah, that's a great question. I right now am still really hands-on. It's sort of 
uh, Wayfair and a lot of companies have this too, has a sort of two parallel track. So you can go into management or you can stay as what's called an individual contributor. And what happens as you get promoted or shift roles is your scope of influence just increases. So the amount of design work that you're responsible for increases, not so that you're working you know, twice as many hours or anything like that, but just mm-hmm. as you're ramping up your skills, then you can take on more ambiguous projects and work like that. I did manage a an, a co-op in the spring. And mm-hmm. so that was awesome. That was my first real management experience. And I definitely have a passion for management, but mm-hmm. right now it's not, um, it's not part of my role. Got it. I see. So I guess... I also would love to understand, like, let's say a project on your team is just beginning, like it's mm-hmm. at its very early phase. How, what's it like at Wafer, like to bring it to life, like bring a concept to production, basically, like what's that process like in your team? Yeah, so we are very um, research forward on my team, particularly. So it sort of depends on the granularity of the question. If it's a really vague question, like how are people shopping for decorative objects and and we have no idea we don't have a ton of data on it then we would um, start with a more open-ended research approach and i might partner with someone on the user research team for that Mm -hmm. if we have a question or a problem area that's a bit more defined like we know that people are having trouble understanding the differences between mattress comfort levels, for example, then I would probably start with some design work. And Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of whiteboards. So I like to sketch things out on whiteboards first and then go into Figma Mm -hmm. and work on designs. So I would do some of that and always partner with my product manager. And I also loop my engineers in really early. We just have meetings, regular meetings on the calendar every sprint where I'm like, here's this random whiteboard sketch that I did, you know, what's your feedback? So we're getting all those perspectives in early. And then we'll, like I said, go into design, prototype something, put that in front of users to get some feedback, iterate on that, and then go ahead and do like an accessibility audit of it, make sure that there's no violations there. And then we'll push that over to engineering to work on it. So that that tends to be the process. It's pretty flexible depending on the project. I might do a competitive audit at the beginning. There's usually mm-hmm. some sort of research that happens at the very beginning. And then we go into like ideating and iterating and sharing it out with some of our stakeholders and collaborators as well on design. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting because for most portfolios that I've looked at, and I also have a portfolio myself, I feel like the general consensus is that you should try to go through the entire product design process, like the end-to-end design process for every case study to showcase that you do have an understanding of it. But I guess I realized that in the real world, it's like, it's not always the case like that. Like there's so many more unpredictable circumstances. And I think I realized that, I, I guess it's more like, Based on this situation, what specific method should I use and why should I use it? Yeah. Do you think that's a fair assumption for what it's like? I Yes, I think that's very fair. But I would say, even as a junior designer, if you feel like you don't have the space to 
actually validate something or you don't feel confident in the problem you're solving for or your hypothesis, then you should advocate for doing more research and um, for really understanding the space before you dive into solutions. Um, but like having said that, I just think that's really important. Um, but you know, you may have a project that is, you already have a pretty good direction. You have a lot of data to work off of, and you just need to kind of quickly ideate on something and get a fix out the door. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we call those like UX debt projects or design upgrades that are small things, but that can make mm -hmm. a difference to the user. So, yeah. and there's ways to slim down your effort depending on what you're working on. But I think there definitely are some projects where you need to go through that whole process from defining to, mm -hmm. um, you know, to launch or yeah. task launch to analyzing the results, right? But it's really up to you as a designer and you'll get such a good sense for this as you get experience and work on a team um, for a while. But it's it's really up to you about like what you think is necessary and what's going to help you, you know, create the best designs you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the ultimate goal of product design is to solve problems. Yeah. So I think having that as the starting point is a good direction. Yeah. And you got to understand the problem before you can solve mm -hmm. it, because otherwise you might come up with a solution that doesn't match the problem, right. which I've done before. You know, I think everyone has, right? Like you've been mm -hmm. like, oh, well, this is definitely going to work. And then <laughs> you put it through yeah. the and they're like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely do more research to make sure that the problem actually exists and is actually a real problem that's worth solving. My next question is a little bit more specific, but I saw in one of your Wayfair projects on your portfolio listed custom upholstery options redesign that you redesigned um, the mobile first for your mm -hmm. project. I'm just really curious, like, why did you design the mobile version first? And is that like a common practice that you do? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm very adamant about this. <laughs> I always try to design mobile first or mobile and desktop at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's way easier to start with a smaller screen size and figure out the flow there and then have that scale to a larger screen size. Whereas if you do the opposite, you're going to end up with so much stuff that does not work on mobile. You're going to have hover states that don't translate well. You're going to have things side by side that are going to stack vertically. So it's way better to start mobile first and you know, most of online traffic today, if you're mm. talking about web-based experiences, an overwhelming majority of that is mobile and it's only going to increase, I think. So the more that we can do in that space that's pushing the boundary, the better. And that usually will translate to desktop or we can iterate on different things on desktop, but it's just a much easier transition, both in design and development, than if we do the opposite. Mm. I wonder if accessibility also plays into the picture, I guess, responsiveness. In terms of, so it, it does, it's not necessarily an exact like one-to-one, -one, but in terms of responsiveness, yes. Mm. A big example of that is, and this happens more in the code, but if folks are zooming in on a web page and mm. have it at like the font at 200 times the normal size, if you have a good responsive design and you've talked to your engineers about that, then that content will flow nicely. Nothing will get cut off or be out of the frame. Got it. I see. Yeah. I've always struggled with 
oh, should I design mobile first? Should I design desktop first? So yeah, it's really interesting to hear that um, there is a preference for like which type of platform. And I feel like, yeah, mobile, there's definitely less space. So like the structure also has to be very intentional for that. Yeah, it's harder, but it's better to do the harder one first than design for something a little easier and then have to figure out how to like jerry-rig it into a smaller screen. Right, I love that. I would like to transition into the final question that we have. And this is a question I'd like to ask every guest at the very end. So the question is, if you're now facing yourself, but 20 years old, so back in college, what career slash life advice will you give the young Catherine? Yeah, this is such a good question. Um, I think that a lot of what we've talked about today is applicable. I think thinking about what you're really passionate about when it comes to design and finding ways of pursuing that, whether it's, you know, in your strict job description or slightly outside of it will help you feel engaged and excited about what you're working on being really open and honest with your manager about your your goals and like how you're doing on um on a weekly basis at work is really really important and then i think what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast as well in terms of looking around you at any point in your career and saying, okay, am I inspired by the people, the designers that I'm surrounded by? Um, Am I excited about the work that they're putting out there? And if not, then, you know, maybe you want to transition somewhere else where like you do have that creativity around you because it's such an important element of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. So I think going back to people is very crucial. Would you say, because I know that, yeah, before Wafer, you're at Publicis. I'm curious, like, this is going back to the earlier section of the podcast, but what sparked your decision to join Wafer and start a new chapter? Yeah, um, I, so at Publicis Sapient, we had limited opportunities to do research outside mm-hmm. of that initial phase where we were doing a lot of the strategy and interviews. And so I was really curious about that validation step and Mm -hmm. usability testing and getting a little more experience with that type of work. And we also, because it was an agency, didn't always have metrics on like how the things that we did performed because our contract would kind of end and then the client would take over. And so I was really curious to get that insight of like, well, does this actually improve the experience or how would I, you know, if it does great, what would I do next? So those were a few reasons. And I also was just excited about the design organization at Wayfair. It's a bigger design team, um, a lot of focus on honing your craft and things like that. So those are some of the reasons I made the shift. Yeah. And you've been there. This is your third year? Yeah, yeah I just hit my three years, which is crazy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I think with that, that rounds off the fireside chat that we have today. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time. Super glad this can happen. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. This is an awesome discussion. And I'm always excited to chat with folks that are earlier in their career. So don't hesitate to reach out. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo, and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show. And I'll see you in the next episode.